Shock Monkey Radio is entertainment for adults, by adults, and the views and opinions expressed here do not reflect upon the sponsors or FXBG Public Radio. For additional information, please refer to the United States Bill of Rights. Stand warned. Hello and welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. I am your host, the Madman. How are you doing today? So, I had a dream last night. I had a dream that Disney bought the intellectual property rights for the Ash Evil Dead series and put out a movie called Bedknobs and Boomsticks. All right, where Ash goes, uh, goes flying around with three pro- posh little English kids during the Nazi occupation, all right, killing zombies and witches. So I don't know if that was a nightmare. It could have been a nightmare. could have been a dream. could have been a brilliant idea for a movie, Disney. You're welcome. Anyway, so yes, this is Shock Monkey Radio, and I want to uh, remind you that you can email me here at madmanfxbgpr.com, um, and you may end up in our mailbag, and I could uh, respond to your questions. You can remain anonymous if you like. Just say so in the email, and I'll keep you anonymous. I also want to remind you that today is my mother's birthday, and she didn't get a present today because you have not gone over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio and become a patron. For $3 a month, you get access to all of our video content behind the paywall, and I would appreciate it. And my mother would, too. Okay, if you don't don't want to become a patron, you can just send me cash through the Cash app. Uh, Use the cash tag, Shock Monkey Radio. So I want to talk about uh, Bill Burr's monologue on Saturday Night Live because it created a little bit of a fuss. Um, A little bit of a fuss. (laughs) Um, So... Uh, here's the thing is like, what do you really expect from Bill Burr? All right. Do you expect him to toe the leftist line? All right. Just for, just for the proving clapter he's going to get, you know, I know that Bill Burr has gone soft since he got married. You know, I know he's turned a little left and he's gotten a little soft and I don't really like it about Bill Burr. I stopped listening to the Monday morning podcast or whatever. Uh, because it's, it's, you know, who cares? I don't want to keep up with your family. I need to keep up with my family. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I, I've kind of like, I, even in paper tiger, he's a little, eh, little, little too far left for my taste, for my taste. Um, but here's the thing. You, he is still a comedian and comedy is supposed to challenge our social mores or else it will fail to be funny. And Bill Burr understands that. Okay, I don't agree 100% with Bill's perspective about these quote-unquote touchy topics, but I don't let that get in between me and a good laugh. The problem with all these people getting bent out of shape over Burr's SNL monologue are the people that have no sense of humor about themselves. No one should take themselves too seriously. And if you can't laugh at yourself, you are fucked in life. You will, you will do nothing but grow more angry and bitter and unable to relate to everyone else in the world. One day you will wake up and find yourself looking for ways to get angry during your amusement time. And that's what SNL is. SNL is amusement time. And I know SNL is biased. I know that just like I know Jon Stewart is biased. But I refused to let their bias stand between me and a laugh. America, you need to lighten the fuck up. From the masks, to the riots, to the election, to your social media. Chill the fuck out. Things are not that serious. Now, when I made this comment, the illustrious comedian Scott Wharton had to chime in, of course. And he said, you know, um, uh, he didn't find it funny at all because it was uh, basically recycled premises. 
uh, premises, premises. <laughs> and if you follow Bill Burr, it's like, yeah, these are kind of like old hat for him in many ways. This is kind of, you know, um, if you follow a comedian on the road from gig to gig and stuff like that, and then you see their special at the end of the year, uh, you're like, oh, I've heard it all before. You know, I've, 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 I was there listening to him perfect these jokes. All right. And I said that, you know, SNL is a perfect place for recycled premises. And I think Bill Burr knew that too. And so he just took that best of what he had at hand and went on there and did a couple jokes, just a couple of jokes. And you know what? He's the kind of guy that understands that, you know, people are going to get, you know, bent out of shape. <laughs> people are, you know, you know, no matter what you say, no matter what you say, as a bald white ginger, somebody's going to be take offense that you're even up there holding a microphone. And I told Scott that, if, you know, SNL is the perfect place for recycled premises. And he said many of the typical audience may not have heard him talk about those topics. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly, that's exactly my point. You know, it's like people don't, they don't follow him. They just see him when he's in that venue. You know, and so it's just like having a guest on, like if, um, like say, if, say if Tim Pool, Tim Pool has a guest on who's, say, you know, leader of the, uh, leader of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tario. All right. There's going to be haters. In the, there's going to be haters in the comments. There's going to be haters in the chat stream. That's just how it works, you know. <laughs> because, you know, it's a different venue. You know, people, you know, some people are just there to be haters. Some people, that's all they want to do is to be haters. You know, I remember back in the day on, you know, in early Facebook usage of mine and even before that, um, uh, uh, message boards, you know, there would be people who would scour through <laughs> the rantings of a madman like me to find one little sentence or one little clip and take it out of context, intentionally take it out of context and not understand the joke and say, there, that right there, that's why you're a somethingist, racist, sexist, whateverist. All right. So I think that no matter what Bill Burr had said on that stage, he could have he could have just stood up there and been silent <laughs> for 10 minutes. And they still would have something to say. They still would have to have something to say because haters gonna hate. <clears throat> So uh, Johnny Rotten is a MAGA guy. So this came out in the news this week, and I think this is a really interesting conversation to have. Um, and because, you know, because Johnny Rotten came out as a, a Trump supporter, uh, since he came out, <laughs> came out of the closet, as it were, as a Trump supporter, uh, people have been losing their minds, you know, and it's because of their warped worldview, uh, in, in their worldview, in their warped worldview, <laughs> punk rock is leftist. That's the way they think. And although that may have been true in the early days of punk, in the late 70s and early 80s, it is not true today. When punk first came out, it aligned on the liberal side because the religious right was telling people what they shouldn't, what sh they shouldn't be recorded on records. You know, what shouldn't be available in the record store. What you should and shouldn't listen to. Which de facto placed punk rock on the left. But punk has always been of the attitude Fuck you, you can't tell me what to do. And here, in 2020, who is the party trying to tell you what to do? 
Who is telling you that you have to wear a mask? Who is telling you that you have to shelter in place at home? Who are the power junkie establishment assholes trying to control everyone's lives? That's the left. And they are so crazy with power that they cannot even see that they are the culture. And punk was always counterculture. So in 2020, there is nothing more punk rock than being a Trump supporter. The real problem is the arrogance of the left in assuming that punk rockers will vote their party line or assuming that blacks should, po- should vote their party line or Latinos should vote their party line. And, it remo- and it's this kind of hubris, you know, where they think that these people have no agency to make up their own minds about the issues that they vote upon. It is this kind of hubris that is going to give Trump another four years because Trump is up there saying, fuck you, you can't tell me what to do. Even when I wasn't president, you couldn't tell me what the fuck to do. And that's the America I love. That's the America Johnny Rotten loves. But the simple truth of the matter is that punk rockers eventually have to grow up. And even Johnny Rotten grows up and his punk rock, and his punk rock stance shifts to, I got a Roth IRA, mate. Fuck all the capital gains taxes, right? <coughs> I hurt my throat. <coughs> I'm going to wet my whistle. I'm sorry about that. My Johnny Rotten voice is pretty punk rock. Guess what? It's Bible story time. It's Bible story time. Now, here's what I always loved about Jesus coming to Jerusalem, as is outlined in Matthew chapter 21 and Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. It's because it's pretty gangster when Jesus came to Jerusalem. First of all, Jesus' crew stole a donkey for Jesus to ride. Yeah, they told the owners, like, oh, it's for the Lord, you know, and then, oh, okay, I guess if, you know, if it's for the Lord, you know, who am I to stand in the way of that? So they stole this donkey for Jesus to ride, and he rode into Jerusalem on this donkey, or possibly a cult, I don't know, depending upon the translation. So he rode into Jerusalem, and all the people, they laid down carpets, they cut down palms to lay in the road as he rode into town. All the while, they were shouting, Hosanna, son of David, Jesus is the goat, P-I-M-P, west side Jerusalem for life, that kind of thing. And he looked around, he went into Jerusalem, he looked around in the temples, and he found a bunch of people buying and selling inside the temple, and J-Dog was pissed. All right, he started overturning tables, driving people out. He said that the temple is, it is written that the temple is a house of prayer, but they have turned it into a den of thieves. Then he went out to Bethany (laughs) to turn in because it was getting pretty late. And Jesus must have still been pissed the next morning because when he saw the fig tree the next morning, he scoured it extensively, searching for figs. And finding none, Jesus cursed the tree so it would never bear fruit again. Jesus was somewhat pissy when he arrived to Jerusalem, eh? <laughs> or you could say that the fig tree is possibly a metaphor, or is it a simile? A metaphor for the temple in Jerusalem, for what good is a fig tree that does, does not bear figs, or what good is a temple if it is not kept holy? The church leaders accept, uh, challenged uh, Jesus' authority, and he, and he told some parables, told some parables and stuff like that. But the point of the matter is that Jesus probably pissed off a bunch of merchants All right, coming into the temple on that first day after everyone was screaming his praises as he came into town. And we know 
that he probably pissed off these merchants, and we know that he, pro- he definitely pissed off the church leaders. And we all know how this particular trip to Jerusalem turns out for Jesus. But damn, what an entrance. All right, 15 minutes in. And uh, I'm going to kill another 14 minutes on this one topic um, that I want to talk about. I was thinking about my niece um, when she grows up. And I was thinking that maybe one day she'll come to me and say, I'm thinking about joining the Navy. Or I'm thinking about joining the Army, Marine Corps, something like that. When she comes of age. And so I was thinking about this a little bit. And so my answer would be no, a hundred times no. Do not join the military. Do, you know, get a, get a trade. <laughs> you know, do something. And it's, it's a long... It's a long path uh, to why I have to say that to my niece. It's like why I would not want my niece to join the military. And that path is, um, I talked a couple weeks ago about an all-female firefighter crew and how I, I want somebody who can actually rescue me. Somebody who's physically capable of rescuing me and some 120-pound girl isn't going to be necessarily be able to carry me out of a burning building. And I have similar concerns when it comes to women in the military if in in a a physical danger kind of situation. Um, what that meant for me when I was in the Navy was that if the ship takes a hit and something like that, and like a, a rack of computer servers, you know, you know falls on me, <laughs> you know, I want people in my workspace, people who are other shipmates, uh, who are physically capable of pulling a server rack off of me in, uh, in, a, in a dire situation like that. And if I worked with a girl who was, you know, had, you know, had to do uh, different push-ups than me or less push-ups than me because of her gender, you know, uh, I, I don't necessarily think that I'd be safe if I was the one who was clumsy enough to stand that close to the toppling server rack. And uh, when it comes to like combat, I mean, it's, it's, it's less of a problem, I think, in pl- places like the Air Force uh, and, and, and the Navy, because uh, <laughs> uh, it's few and far between when uh, Navy sailors take casualties. And if they most of the most of the people who take casualties in the Navy are are like special operators, like SEALs and EOD and stuff like that. Um, but it's it is rare when something like the USS Cole incident happens, uh, because uh, trying to tackle the U.S. Navy is a is a daunting task for any nation on this earth. <laughs> That's why I joined the Navy because we are badass on the oceans. Um, and so, um, uh, if you're in a war fighting situation, I think it's particularly more uh, important. To have people who have the who have the meet the physical standards that are required to serve in a forward position, all right. It's one thing being in the Navy or in the Air Force. You know, it's another thing if you're in a combat you know combat role, and you know if you need to carry another a, a fellow soldier, you know, and it's just you and you just you have to carry it. You know, yeah, they have litters and stuff like that. You can have you know to double up on a on on a person if you need to carry somebody, but you need somebody who 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 can pull their weight quite literally, you know? And so I have that kind of problem when it comes to female serving in the military. It's like, I think that it's less important in, you know, more administrative kind of war fighting like the Navy and the Air Force um, uh, than it is, I think it's more important in combat roles. That being said, um, there's a, a whole other issue all right, because I've seen plenty of intelligent women who can do the jobs, hit plenty of, you know, officers, chiefs, you know, senior senior uh, petty officers and so forth, 
who are excellent at their jobs. They know their jobs. And, you know, and when it comes to the Navy and Air Force and stuff like that, it's, it's more about technical expertise than uh, your warfighting capabilities. And so, um, <clears throat> but the whole other issue, other than, you know, uh, the physical requirements, is the fact that this, you are out, women are outnumbered in the military like something like 80 to 1. It is ridiculous how many men there are to women. All right. <laughs> and so what that means is that women in the military have dick in their face constantly, constantly dudes hitting on them, constantly dudes hitting on them because the dudes are surrounded by dudes all the time. If there's one woman, you know, in your class or in, your, you know, <laughs> or on your ship, you know, it, it gets nuts. It can get crazy. You know, there were, um, <laughs> there were joke. There are jokes that sailors, airmen, and uh, soldiers, marines, uh, uh, ha say when they're overseas at a duty duty location, and there's a female who's acting all up, uh, like uh, hoity-toity. What's the what's the phrase I should use? Uh, you know, um, her head up her own ass, just thinks she's the shit, and she's really not. You say to her, he's like, you are a plane ticket away from ugly, meaning that, you know, I can fly to anywhere other than this duty station. This happens to places like Diego Garcia, which are quite um, <laughs> isolated, you know, and it's just, it's just solely this, this military town. And it's like, I can get on a plane, you know, fly to someplace, and you're instantly a, a three again, you know? And, and that would happen, you know? You could have, like, uh, you know, a ship... You know, when ship has like 500 people on it, let's say, just picking a number, a ship that has 500 people on it, and you're talking about 25 women, maybe. All right. <laughs> Those chicks constantly have dicks in their face, guys trying to get with them. They could be married. They could be married to someone on the ship, and people would still be hitting on them. All right? People would know, you'd know, know that they were married and still hit on, hit on them. And succeed. And succeed. <coughs> That's the sad part, all right? Additionally, you, uh, you talk about military towns, towns, uh, uh, military towns, uh, <laughs> uh, it's kind of the same situation, you know? Uh, everyone's kind of very promiscuous, and there's so, there's so much dude around that if you're a female around, that they're, you know, they, they, they think it's like uh, easy pickings, easy pickings, a bunch of horny soldiers and sailors. You're the only woman in the room? Easy pickings. I don't know how many dudes' wives have hit on me that I served with. Guys that I served with's wives hit on me. Seriously. And acted like I was weird for thinking it's immoral. <laughs> I'm not going to throw out any names, but Jesus Christ. And that's what, that's what that society is like. That's what the culture of the military is like. And I don't want... Additionally... And on top of this outnumbering is that there, there's always the uh, uh, risk of abuse and harassment. And it happens. I have talked to many women when I was serving in the Navy who talked about harassment and rapes and stuff like that. Horrible things that can happen because of this if you're outnumbered. You know? It's sad as hell. It's sad as hell. <laughs> You know, you, there's a lot, a lot of guys who have been in the military who are bitter because, you know, they couldn't get laid, you know, <laughs> like me, because my only options were other sailors' wives. 
You know, there's no such thing as a single girl within 100, 100 <laughs> 25 miles of Norfolk. All right. Or as I call it, no fuck. Because I couldn't get laid. I was just one of many, and the girls had their, their pick of the litter. The pick of the litter. You know, threes getting married to tens. Dudes who are tens getting married to threes. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to just rape people arbitrarily, but I mean, seriously, that's what it seemed like. Just because you were the only girl around who on the ship, on deployment, you knocked her up and you figured you'd do the right thing as a man should and married her, you know? <laughs> Additionally, you have women who would get pregnant to avoid deployment. <laughs> and you can imagine that, you know, there are, some, there are some unscrupulous women in the world. Let's just say that. And they, uh, they would realize it's like, oh, my ship's going to deploy in August, say. And then we're going a six-month deployment to the Gulf. <laughs> So I'll just get, I'll get knocked up sometime in June, maybe July. And so she doesn't have to go. And then she gets, she gets to go to a shore station billet that, you know, some other sailor who spent time at sea hoping for that shore station so he could deal with all the problems with his family because he's never home. <laughs> no, she takes that billet away just because she got pregnant to avoid a deployment. I'm, that's rare, but I'm sure it does happen. There are, there are some unscrupulous women out there. And so when it comes to this kind of society, you know, and wanting it for my niece, it's like, I didn't want it for the women I knew in the Navy. <laughs> uh, I thought uh, the way people treated them uh, uh, socially, it's more socially. Professionally, it's a very different story. Professionally, they are treated professionally. But socially, when you're mingling socially, whether you're in port or you're in, you know, in, uh, <laughs> at a port of call, <laughs> you know, uh, they were treated differently, like more like objects. And that frustrated me. And it frustrated me that, you know, they, because they got their pick of the litter, they frequently work, weren't picking guys that were good for them as per as people. All right. Additionally, I'm an ugly guy and I, I understand why I never got laid, but I mean, it, it's not something I want for my niece. It's not something I want for her life. And I don't want her to be ever in a situation where she feels like she's worth more than she is. I love her to pieces, and I think she's going to go very far in life because she's so wonderful. But I don't want her to end up being a 5 and thinking she's a 10 just because she's stationed in Diego Garcia and then gets, grows this attitude of better than everybody just because she was the hottest girl in town for four years. I don't think that's a good experience for her. I'd rather her do, like, do something like a trade school, you know, college, if I can get her head right before she went, you know, because I, mean, I remember I ran into this, uh, this girl who graduated high school not too long ago, about a year ago, and I said, so uh, you're going to college? And I gave her this look, like, so you're going to college? And she goes, yeah, I'm going to college. And it's like, where are you going? She goes, Liberty University. And I was like, oh, you might actually get an education. <laughs> and she was like, why do you say that? And it's like, well, because, I mean, there's very few colleges that uh, actually educate you in <laughs> things you need to be educated upon. You know, apparently, like, a lot of what people are putting out in colleges these days is nothing but this <laughs> uh, critical critical theory and <laughs> stuff like that. Horrible nonsense that, you know, has no bearing on anything whatsoever, and it's a waste of time to even study. And they're, they're basically training little socialist Nazis <laughs> is what they're doing in colleges. So if 
I, but if my niece came to me and said, I want to join the, the military, I'd say, please don't, please don't. I don't want to come back and hear these horrible horror stories. It's like you got held down by three guys or something like that. I don't want to hear some horrible horror story where, you know, uh, uh, a chief petty officer was uh, was withholding a promotion because you wouldn't blow him or something like that. I don't want I don't want to hear anything like that coming from my niece because I I would I would want to go down to the Navy. I'd want to go down and find this chief petty officer that held her a promotion, and I'd want to strangle him with my hands with my hands. And I don't want to be a murderer. I don't want to be a murderer. And the only thing I could think of murdering somebody for is my niece, and I love her that much. So. <laughs> So that's just my my little two cents, or 14 minutes, or 13 minutes, as it were, of me ranting about why women probably shouldn't go in the military or be cops or firefighters. You can clip that little bit and say, there, he's sexist. You can take that little clip if you like. But you got to be a patron to get the full video. <laughs> gotcha. I just want that $3. Then you can make fun of me all you want. Patreon.com slash ShockMonkeyRadio. All right, let's go ahead and get into the news worth knowing. Imagine a stinger in your mind. Let's get into the news here. So a promoter for Portland's Day of Rage wants to abolish colonial systems, a report says. Uh, The Twitter handle generational resistance which promoted sunday night's day of rage in portland that resulted in the toppling of two statues and damage to several buildings said its ultimate goal is to quote decolonize society by working to abolish colonial systems rooted in racism a report said the oregonian news- newspaper wrote a lengthy article about the group that started uh, started mentioning the protest a day earlier the paper said the city is having difficulty getting a grip on protesters because social media allows them to organize quickly and coordinate. The report said that one of the instructions on Sunday uh, was that videos and photos were not allowed. Andy No, a journalist who has been documenting the unrest in the city, American journalistic hero Andy No, he posted images of Sunday's destruction on Twitter. No posted a video of protesters toppling the statue of Teddy Roosevelt, which depicted the former tre- president riding on horseback. Of course, he's always on a horse, isn't he? The video showed a rope tied around the statue and protesters could be heard cheering when the statue shifted. One, per- one person could be heard saying, F all you colonizers, every one of you that is against Black Lives Matter can F the F off. That's very, uh, they have a very diverse vocabulary, this person. After toppling the statues, the crowd smashed windows at the Oregon Historical Society and later moved on to Portland State University campus public safety office. The paper said the protest, which resulted in three people being taken into custody, was billed online as Indigenous People's Day of Rage. It took place the evening before Columbus Day. The paper said it reached out to generational resistance members and was issued a statement through its Twitter handle Monday night that read, quote, we stand to decolonize ourselves and decolonize society by working to abolish colonial systems rooted in racism, and build the community rooted in liberation. President Trump took to Twitter on Monday and posted, quote, the radical left fools in Portland don't want any help from real law enforcement, which will be provided instantaneously, period. Vote, exclamation point. I wish that dude would quit tweeting. Um, anyway, so these people, they pulled down statues of both Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt in Portland because I, I think they're assholes. And so... um. 
what what is it that they want? They said like colonization like eight times. Hold on. Let's see. They wanted to decolonize society by working to abolish colonial systems rooted in racisms. Um, I don't know. What are those things? Those tri-corner hats? It's like, you know, those are way out of style. You know, the colonial era is over. Okay. And so um, I don't know what you're fighting against fiction right now, if you ask me. It's like uh, colonialism is, doesn't exist anymore. You know, you can argue that it exists in places like, you know, like Iraq. All right. It certainly isn't here. All right. So you're, you're, you're fiction. This is a fictional thing that you're fighting against. It's fictional. Decolonize society. What do you mean you want to, people to leave Earth? Decolonize society? Is that what you mean? To, to, to colonize means to populate in some synonymous way. So does that mean we should all leave Earth? There's still plenty of good resources down here. All right? You're insane. You're insane. You are LARPing. All the convention centers are closed down. And so you just want to tear down statues. You're a bunch of asshole LARPers, Portland. There is no racism anymore. The SPLC kind of needs to shut its doors. Because when you're talking, when these racists that you're talking about, these clan members that you think are everywhere, you're talking about 16, 20 guys in your state and maybe 300 globally. All right? And they're usually very easy to spot. And the best way to counter bad ideas is to give them light. Let the madman on the corner shout so that he can, all his ignorance is on full display. I think it says in the Bible, do not be like the fool who prays on the street corner, for he has received his reward in full. I think that's somewhere in the Bible. I could be wrong. Freaking terrorists. Domestic terrorists. You know, you understand that, like, after, like, the threat of, like, Al-Qaeda went away, the word terrorist is, like, disappeared from the news, even though there is terrorism happening. Anyway, let's go on to the next story. Johnson Grassley pressed uh, press FBI for McCabe texts, called the delay unacceptable. Now, I don't know if you've been following this story, but you should be, because Trump has demanded and de- uh, the declassification and release of all records related to the Trump-Russia probe. So top Senate Republicans investigating the origin of, of the FBI's Trump-Russia probe are pressing the Bureau to produce all text messages belonging to the former Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, calling the delay unacceptable. In a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray, Wray, Wray Senate Homeland Security uh, Committee Chairman Ron Johnson uh, and Senate Financial Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley demanded that the FBI turn over the documents, noting that their production would uh, be responsive to the subpoena issued by Johnson's committee in August. Quote, as you know, on August 6, 2020, the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee subpoenaed the FBI for all records related to the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, which requires that records actually be produced to the committee, not merely made uh, available for review in a reading room, they wrote. We have waited nearly 70 days to receive these text messages, and when records were actually produced, we received only 8% of what we know exists. They added, it is simply unacceptable that we have waited so long to receive so little. Johnson and Grassley said, in te- said the text messages belonging to McCabe that the FBI did produce, quote, include notable information that is highly relevant to several aspects of the committee's oversight efforts. 
One aspect the committee is investigating involves how involves records made public last week by Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe, who declassified documents that revealed former CIA Director John Brennan briefed former President Obama and uh, on Hillary Clinton's purported, quote, plan to tie then-candidate Donald Trump to Russia as, quote, a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server ahead of the 2016 presidential campaign. The documents, which were first reported and exclusively obtained by Fox News, included Brennan's handwritten notes, which were taken after he briefed Obama on the intelligence the CIA received, and a CIA memo which revealed that, inf- uh, that officials referred the matter to the former FBI Director James Comey and the former FBI Special Agent Peter Strzok for potential investigative action. Quote, we have made a public commitment to determine and reveal the full extent of official, of official investigative and intelligence action taken by federal op- uh, officials against the Trump campaign, its presidential transition, and into the administration, the senators wrote, adding that information has already been made public that, quote, reveals uh, what might be the most outrageous abuse of power in U.S. history against a presidential candidate and a sitting, and sitting president. They added the American people divert, uh, deserve full transparency, and they've waited entirely too long, almost four years in some instances, for answers. In light of that history, it is astounding that the FBI can claim to need more time to identify and produce responsive records. All right, so you know where this is going, right? You understand where this is going. The FBI knows where this is going. So I'm sure they're just trying to delete some emails, just like Hillary did. <laughs> All right. And I, I think that this is, this is truly one of the most outrageous things that's happened in, in U.S. government. I believe that organizations such as CIA, FBI, and any con- contractors related to DOD or any, any other government agency should remain neutral politically. All right. Now, here's the thing. I work for DOD. I worked in the intelligence community. All right. And even in, 2000, in early 2000s, I was looked down upon because of my conservative views. You know, had some asshole Democrat who kept like logging into my terminal, see what I was typing and would yell at me because of the things I was typing. And so I understood, I understood that intelligence agencies and government agencies were starting to skew left. And when it comes to like the Obama administration, going to the FBI, your taxpayer funded Federal Bureau of Investigation going to them and telling them to investigate or create some sort, whatever they did, a political opponent, that is highly illegal. That is highly illegal and the most egregious abuse of power. And guess who did it? Democrats. I'm not surprised. They think we're evil. We just know they're wrong. I think Charles Krauthammer, Krauthammer is cited as saying that. And so because they think we're evil, they think all of every, every means that they use to defeat us is justified. Because they think that we're playing these dirty tricks too. It's like, no, Republicans are not scared of the virus. They're going to go to the polls and vote. <laughs> They're not scared. You know, all the Democrats are scared in their houses, wiping sanitizer all over their votes and <laughs> getting them invalidated. Did you hear that story? Oh, go look, go look that up. I should have I should have used that in the news because that's hilarious. Anyway, so this is big big news that's coming up. The timing is a bit suspect in in terms of I mean they said it has been going on for seventy days, but even seventy days ago is kind of like close to an election when this kind of information comes out. 
So I wonder if maybe like Trump sat on this for a little bit and waited for this year to bring it out and just said, oh, I didn't count on the Rona. <laughs> you never count on the Rona. Nobody, what's a, uh, nobody expects the Spanish. No, nobody expects the Rona. <laughs> anyway, lock her up. That was my, <laughs> that was my comment on that news story when I posted it. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, let's go to the next story. California Republicans refused to remove ballot boxes, slam state's $35 million team Biden contract. California's top election official reportedly hired Democratic operatives to run a $35 million get-out-the-vote effort. The California Repu uh, Republican Party responded Monday to criticism over unofficial ballot drop-off boxes in counties uh, with highly competitive U.S. House races, arguing that state law allows ballot harvesting while also slamming a $35 million contract the state's top election official awarded to a Team Biden public relations firm. California Secretary of State Alex Padilla, uh, a Democrat, had his legal chief counsel send Republicans a letter on Monday ordering them to remove unofficial ballot, bo ballot drop-off boxes from churches, gun shops, and other locations in Fresno, Orange, and Los Angeles counties by Thursday. Hector Barajas a spokesman for the California Republic, Republican Party told Fox News that the, the, quote, the Secretary of State's actions is just a deflection from the mounting criticism from giving a non-budgeted $35 million get-out-the-vote contract to a Team Biden PR firm, which is also receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars to oppose Republican candidates in targeted California districts. Last week, the California State Comptroller, Comptroller, excuse me, Ooh, excuse me, rejected the $35 million contract from Padilla. I'm sorry, $35 million contract Padilla entered with SKD Knickerbocker, a Washington, D.C.-based public affairs firm. Wait a minute. If it's Knickerbocker, you should be in New York, like in Manhattan. Anyway, D.C.-based public affairs firm. The late August, in late August to run a Vote Safe California campaign urging people to vote during the pandemic. Anita Dunn, the firm's uh, managing director, is a senior strategist for the for Biden's presidential campaign. SKD Knickerbocker's work for, for Biden is highlighted on its website with a headline saying the company is proud to be a part of Team Biden. The state controller uh, said Padilla lacked any budget authority to spend mi the millions of dollars in taxpayer funds on the voter outreach program, and the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Foundation sent Padilla a letter on October 6th demanding that he stop any further spending regarding the illegal contract. When the contract was first initiate, initiated weeks ago, Jessica Millen Patterson, chairman, chairwoman of the California Republican Party, argued that it screamed a, of a conflict of interest, but Padilla's office said politics play, played no role in the companies where considered, the finalists selected, or the eventual decision. In regards to the unofficial ballot boxes, Barajas said Republicans would continue their ballot harvesting program, adding that Democrat anger is overblown when state law allows organizations, volunteers, or campaign workers to collect completed ballots and drop them off at polling places or election offices. <sighs> I'm going to stop reading this article. Um, you see what happens is like everyone kind of gets a little crazy. In California, it's just a little bit crazier than everywhere else in America. And so if you keep one-upping each other in this, in this crazy game, you're just going to go into crazy land, uh, California. And so, um, so I'm just saying, like, California Republicans are a little crazy, too, because <laughs> they're Californians. And so uh, watch out, Nashville. Ben Shapiro's coming. <laughs> watch it. Where's, uh, where's uh, Joe, Joe Rogan? At? He's Austin. Watch out, Austin. Joe Rogan's there. <laughs> All right. It may be a short show. I got three more stories. 
So let's talk about these racist Democrats in New York. So uh, New York City Orthodox Jewish community protests new state-mandated mandated coronavirus lockdowns. Restrictions are broken down into three color-coded categories. Hundreds of members, members of the Borough Park Orthodox community took to the streets Tuesday night, defying orders to disperse and lighting a fire in protest of the new state-mandated restrictions imposed on area synagogues, schools, and non-essential businesses uh, over a COVID-19 surge. One large cloud, crowd huddled, huddled closely together in the corner of 50th Street and 15th Avenue at about 9 p.m. as a community activist, Her Heshi Tischler, ripped Governor Cuomo uh, and Mayor Bill de Blasio over the order that shuts down schools completely and limits houses of worship to 10 people in certain COVID-19 hotspots. Much of Borough Park is subject to those measures, the most restrictive, which also shutters non-essential businesses. <clears throat> The level of restrictions broken down into three color-coded categories are guided by coronavirus diagnosis data. Quote, it's called civil disobedience. We can fight back. Tischler told the crowd, tearing up, tearing up his face mask. Do not allow them to torture you or scare you, he said, referring to the elected officials. The closures must be made no later than Friday, uh, though a spokes spokesman for de Blasio tweeted that they would likely begin Thursday and run for at least two weeks. Councilman Kalman Yeager later showed up at another protest on 13th Avenue, according to Borough Park News. There, the lawmaker told the crowd, we are not going to be deprived of the right that we have in America, like everyone else in America, to uh, the right to observe, observe our religion. Uh, the protests swarmed in numbers later in the night with demonstrators shutting down 13th Avenue to vehicular traffic. Shouldn't do that, guys. Uh, things also turned unruly when the crowd lit a rubbish fire after midnight at the intersection of 42nd Street, uh, 46th Street and 13th Avenue and chased away two sheriff's deputies who responded. You shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. Uh, the, defiant, the defiant crowd chanted Jewish, Jewish Lives Matter and held, as they held their ground. At about 1.30 a.m., FDNY firefighters and cops out, uh, put out the flames to the dismay of the protesters. Good. You don't want fires in the city. Uh, earlier in the night... Jaeger was among four Jewish, local Jewish lawmakers who released a joint statement slamming Governor Cuomo over the edict. Quote, we are appalled by Governor Cuomo's words and actions today, and he has chosen to pursue a scientifically and constitutionally questionable shutdown of our communities, said in a statement from Jaeger, uh, State Senator Simcha Felder, Assemblyman Simcha Eckenstein, and Councilman Chaim Deutsch. Deutsch? Uh, Quote, his administration's utter lack of coordination and communication with local officials has been an ongoing issue since the start of the pandemic, and particularly recently as we face this uptick. The lawmakers said that even though they represent the COVID-19 hotspot neighborhoods, the Cuomo administration has, le has left in the dark uh, leading up to Tuesday's decision. Has been left in the dark, I guess. <laughs> leading up to Tuesday's decision. Um... Also brought up by the legislators was Cuomo's choice to display PowerPoint images of New York's Jewish community gathering en masse uh, during his Monday press briefing. Quote, Governor Cuomo's choice to single out a particular religious, religious group, complete with a slideshow of photos to highlight his point, was outrageous. His language was dangerous and divisive and, and left the implication that Orthodox Jews alone are responsible for rising COVID cases in New York State, the elected officials said. So here's the thing. It's like not, not a whole lot of people are talking about uh, what's going on with the Jewish people in New York proper. 
And so, um, uh, you know, these Black Lives Matter protests, when they kicked off, you know, that was at a time, that was at a time when they were like locking, like locking up playgrounds where these Jewish kids played, you know, locking up uh, their synagogues, their, their, you know, and it's, it seemed like they're unfairly targeting these, this Jewish community. I know like I've been in New York a couple of times and I understand that there's a, a, a lot of people who dislike the Hasidim. And if you don't know that the Hasidics are, uh, the Hasidim are in like New York, they have little enclaves around New York. And so, um, and they're of, <laughs> because they're codified, you know, they, they, they wear all the trappings and so forth and they all look, you know, dress the same in many ways. And it's very, it's very weird in like the capital of fashion that New York is, you know, for to see somebody, you know, who lives a, a simpler life like that. And so they're, they're very much disliked by a lot of people. And I find that kind of disgusting. And so, but you see when these Black Lives Matter uh, protests kicked off, you know, that was okay. That was okay, but these people couldn't go to their synagogues. People couldn't go to churches. People couldn't go to their funerals. You know, to you know, your grandma died. Sorry, you can't be around uh, as they lower her in the ground. Why? Because Black Lives Matter can do whatever the fuck it wants, and that's kind of the problem. That's kind of the problem here. It's not necessarily that you could say that the, you know they were unfairly targeted targeted for being Jewish. Absolutely, you can make that that argument. However, you know, it's more the issue is like some, some things, you know, are allowed to be, you know, to, to skirt the rules while other things are not, you know, good things that, pe that people should be doing, like going to church or going to your synagogue, you know, that is not allowed, but burning stuff in the streets, that's safe for the COVID. And that's, that's been the issue. That's been the complaint the entire time is like for somehow there's a different set of the rules for these leftist ideologies. It's like, yeah, everyone should wear a mask. You should maintain social distancing. You can't go to church. You can't, can't go to synagogue. You can't go to funerals and stuff like that. But Black Lives Matter, you go ahead. Keep going. You can go. Just reeks of racism. Reeks of bias. <laughs> reeks of time to vote you out. All right. Got about 10 minutes left. This mic is just not staying up. So here we go. Let's go into this... Uh, Last two stories here. Uh, tourists return stolen artifacts from Pompeii after claiming to suffer a curse. Quote, I was young and stupid. Woman claims she suffered from breast cancer, financial difficulties, since taking the items. Canadian woman has decided to return a handful of artifacts she stole from Pompeii in 2005 in the hopes of ridding herself and her family of a curse that has allegedly plagued her ever since. The woman, who identified herself only as Nicole in a letter accompanying the stolen items, claimed she was young and stupid at the time and wanted to have a piece of history that no one could have. But after suffering through two bouts of cancer and financial difficulties, she no longer wants anything to do with them. Quote, I just want to shake off the curse that this has fallen on me and my family, she wrote in a letter sent to a Pompeii area travel agency who in turn shared it with the local police per Italy's Il Messagero. I don't think he knows how to pronounce it, but anyway, uh, quote, please accept these artifacts. This is from her letter. Please accept these artifacts so that you do the right thing for the mistake I made. I am so sorry. One day I will. One day I will return your beautiful country to your beautiful country and apologize in person. Nicole added included among the items she uh, she returned were two mosaic tiles, two fragments of amphora jugs and a piece of a wall. Nicole, Nicole uh, further claimed that she had 
a few friends who additionally who stole additional artifacts during the 2005 trip, Alliston and Kimberly, and she urged them too to send back the items. Police later confirmed that a second letter, along with more artifacts, did indeed arrive from Canada with a letter signed from Alistair and Kimberly G., according to Canada's CTV News. (laughs) The two expressed remorse for their actions and asked for forgiveness. They also wished that the souls lost at Pompeii would be able to rest in peace. The outlift report. (laughs) I'm going to explain why I'm laughing here in a second. Uh, a, rep- a representative for the Archaeological Park of Pompeii further confirmed that fo- to Fox News that officials have received around 100 similar packages over the years from people who feel remorse after taking home, home items they found at the ruins. Quote, for several years for the Archaeological Park of Pompeii has been receiving letters uh, from visitors who on occasion of their visit have taken small objects, and we're talking about mosaic tiles, small shards, stones, pieces of plaster, lapilli, and, uh, that are of little value, but part of a unique archaeological heritage, and that they have decided to, uh, after years to return, claiming they have derived only bad luck from the act. <laughs> the spokesperson confirmed in an email. The spokesperson uh, added that several such letters and packages are currently being showcased in an exhibit at the park, although Nicole's letter, as well as her friends, cannot be displayed as they are turned over to the police, who <laughs> kept them as evidence. Oh, no. Maybe you shouldn't go back to The artifacts, meanwhile, were returned, but obviously they cannot be replaced in the ruins because their precise origin is not known. The archaeological park of Pompeii had reopened to tourists in May of 2020 after closing months before the outbreak of the coronavirus. You know, the ruins uh, deemed a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1997, along with the archaeological areas in Herculaneum and Torre as, you know that one, you know that one. had also just finished undergoing a $113 million renovation right before the coronavirus pandemic hit. So probably be good to go. So why, why was I laughing at that story? It's like, because curses aren't real. <laughs> They're not. They're not real. Um, you didn't get cancer because you stole these things. Okay. That's, that's not what it is. I mean, it's, it's cute that you have a little guilt. It's cute that you're superstitious like that. And you probably wrote your friends and say, hey, you probably should send those back because they're fucking cursed. And they believed you. And so <laughs> I think that that's hilarious. I think that, you know, uh, people's belief and stuff like that, think things like superstitions, like curses and stuff like that. I mean, do you think that the, uh, the people who died in Pompeii, th- what they wanted to do with their afterlife was to, you know, Stop shoplifters, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you think that's what people, uh, dead people, do in the afterlife? Is they, you know, they <laughs> they curse thieves. What, if you had like power over the living in any way, why would you do like such a a misdemeanor? You know? <laughs> no, I I had the kitchen arranged just so, and you came and took the tile. <laughs> So it's ridiculous to think that this had any bearing on your life. I think it's cool that you returned it. I don't care the reason, because you're crazy. You're crazy, probably. So that's a little funny story, and let's do a heartwarming story to end up the show on. Girl, four years old, starts making Christmas care packages for needy children after having a bad dream. Pippa Jackson was inspired after having a bad dream about needy kids having no presents to open on Christmas. So the four-year-old has launched an initiative to collect Christmas presents for deprived children after she had a bad dream about some missing out. 
kind-hearted Pippa Jackson has set herself the challenge of making 200 care packages for children who otherwise would go without during the festive period. In each one, she puts a present, some coloring pencils, and a hat, a scarf, and some gloves to help keep them warm. Pippa from St. Ostwell in Cornwall, England, uh, was spurred on after having a bad dream about children having no presents to open on Christmas morning. Her mom, Katie Jackson, 23, who is helping her with the project, said Pippa is getting a bit of help with her project, too. Uh, quote, Pippa is currently making Christmas parcels. But, oh, that's right. They're British. Pippa is currently making Christmas parcels. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, a, I'm an asshole. Uh, uh, by receiving donations. And next week, we will be making decorations as well, Jackson said. The decorations are to sell, and all the money that she raises will go towards buying presents for the deprived children. Jackson confirmed that her daughter was encouraged to start the project after having a dream that some children wouldn't be, able to open, wouldn't be able to open presents on Christmas Day, and she wanted to help. She's very kind-hearted, and she has a golden heart, Jackson said. She wants to help anyone in need, and we're going to go to some women's shelters, orphanages, that kind of thing, anywhere where you can find children to help. Jackson and Pippa are currently sending their e uh, spending their evenings putting together the parcels, some of the contents which have been kindly donated to the family. Jackson, who has another daughter, Zara, two years old, added, in the, in the parcels there will be bits and bobs, little stocking fillers, funny bits of whoopee cushions, <laughs> funny bits like whoopee cushions, pens, coloring pencils, hats, scarves, and gloves, just in case they need them. Whatever we can get our hands on, really. <laughs> the care packages will also be separated in ages and boys and girls, Jackson added. Uh, we're hoping to make 200. That's what Pippa said. I got my work cut out for me. So if we get enough donations, if we can buy enough toys, if we have enough, we'll go above and beyond. The donations are going well so far, so I have some stuff from a lo few local shops, and more will be coming soon, I think, next week. Well, you have a... <laughs> this girl is sticking long, time, long term. And you know, what I'm th you know what's great about this story is the fact that this girl woke up in October with a bad dream because she's already thinking about Christmas. You know, and I think that that's wonderful about how, like, you know, four-year-old girls are, you know. It's, and so she wakes up, and, but, you know, smart enough to understand the idea of poverty and so forth. And so it's, it's such a wonderful thing. It's such a wonderful impulse, you know. And so it's, it's <laughs> I'm just in awe that a, a girl this young has that kind of impulse and how people can get pretty much any human being, any adult, Understand can understand that impulse, can understand backing a girl with this idea. So absolutely, go look up this girl, Pippa Jackson. Search for her. Find if there's a way you can donate. Donate some toys. I know, you know, I'm an American show, and so go go find her. See if there's any way that you can donate for the needy children that you know this this brave young girl, you know, wanted to uh, to do for somebody else. And I think she finally gets Christmas at four years old. And it's like, that's the best thing you can do for Christmas is give a gift like that to somebody who needs it. And so I just like to end things on a happy note here on Shock Monkey Radio. I want to remind you again to go over to Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio. Become a patron. You can get access to all the video content behind the scenes. Um, you could also ca uh, cash at me using hashtag shockmonkeyradio, all one word. Uh, also buy my books. Search for them on amazon.com. They're available for digital download only. Uh, search for the uh, author, Scott L. Robbins, with two T's and two B's. Um, got the Exit 13 series. I got the uh, Ravings of a Madman, and I got the Bunny Years, a memoir story about a superhero. 
So yeah, this is this is the end of Shock Monkey Radio. I'm your host, the Madman, and I love you. <laughs>